Well, morning every day, Southfield. It's so, so great to be here. Um, it's, it's always a joy, isn't it, when we get to do things like this together across our venues. And Everyday Church Clapham does send its love, and uh, we pray for you guys and hold you in our, in our hearts. Um, and we're excited to be with you guys back on Good Friday as well. All the Clappermites are going to be over here for Good Friday because we hire a venue um, which isn't open on Friday. So um, we're going to be with you guys in just a few days' time to kick off our Easter celebrations. Um, just, I guess this morning you guys are probably more clued in about what your series over the last few weeks has been about than even than I, than I am really. Um, you've been looking at kind of different aspects of Christian freedom. What does it mean to kind of look at the Bible and go, what does this tell us about freedom? What is freedom? And, uh, and Adam, sort of in, in lead up to today, asked me really to share about this topic of freedom in worship. And... Uh, so today, Christian freedom, we're going to be looking at that axis about Christian freedom, um, about freedom in worship. And I guess before we kind of get into unpacking a few things, it's good to just ask ourselves, what do we mean by freedom in worship? And I wonder maybe what you picture in your mind or what you think about when we present the phrase to you, freedom in worship. And maybe there's no picture at all. Maybe you're very new to church and this whole thing of worship and freedom and looking at the Bible together. Um, If that's you, so glad you're here. Um, I'm hoping that what today I share will actually just help you get some foundations and understand what some of the foundations of Christian faith are really about. Um, But actually, it might be for you that you've been around church for a number of years, decades even. And then when you're presented with the phrase freedom in worship, there's certain pictures and images that come to your mind. And I guess this morning I just want to draw our attention to two important aspects of freedom in worship and what they mean for us today. I want to unpack them for us um, through some sto- a story in the Bible and then offer hopefully some challenges to us um, as to how we kind of apply those and, and live them out in our day-to-day lives. Not just when we're kind of here on Sundays, but also when we're out and about in the world about our day-to-day business. So we're going to unpack the story of the Exodus um, from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. So we're going to be looking at a few chapters of the book of Exodus this morning. So because we're not going to have the Bible passages on the screen, really important, if you do have a Bible, to grab that now. Um, it might be on your phone, it might be on a tablet. Oh, thank you so much. We have some red church Bibles. I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this, and I didn't check this before, but if you don't own a Bible and you would like one, please take this with you. Um, is that right to say something? Yeah? Um, just think it's just the most valuable thing we can have with us um, is, is God's Word. And actually, when we're looking at sermons together, we're listening to what the songs we're singing are about. Actually, if we're not bouncing them off what it actually says in here, then we're going to get into some tricky, uh, sticky situations, really, um, with what we're believing. So please do grab one of those. Um, So we're going to be in the book of Exodus. So it's right at the beginning of the Bible. So turn right to the beginning, and you'll find Genesis, and then flick, skip a few chapters forward, and you'll find the book of Exodus. And uh, that's going to be where we're planting ourselves today. And I just want to give us a bit of a recap, really, of where we're up to with the story. Awesome. Thank you, guys. We're going to give a bit of a recap of where we're up to in the story so far. Um, So God's people, the Israelites, or the Hebrews, as they're often referred to in the book of Exodus, um, they have all gone down into the land of Egypt, into the country of Egypt. 
And Egypt basically multiplies, it says exceedingly. They were exceedingly fruitful, and they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became numerous, that the land was filled with them. But then this new king in, in Egypt comes along, and basically he gets a bit fearful of what this means for his people. So he looks at the Israelites and goes, they've become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, this is like fearful moment for the king. If war breaks out, then they're going to basically join the other team, and they're going to leave the country, and they're going to come against us. Um, so basically what his decision is as a result of this is to put them under slavery. He says that we're going to put slave masters over them and oppress them with forced labor. And they, and they end up building a couple cities for the, uh, for the pharaoh, who's the king at the time in Egypt. And they get worked ruthlessly under this slavery. And they make their lives bitter. It says in Exodus 1, chapter 14, that their lives were made bitter with harsh labor. And they've just worked. They've worked to the bone. And basically, in order to try and stop the people of Israel growing even more numerous and getting, getting even more fruitful, you guys at Southfields know what becoming numerous and fruitfulness <laughs> through babies looks like, I'm sure. But in order to put a stop to that, to stop the generations from carrying on and the, kind of the, the Hebrew people from continuing to increase... The, the pharaoh basically does this horrible and evil thing. He says, if a baby is born and it's a boy, kill it. Kill the baby boys. Because in that way, we're going to put an end to this line, end to these generations of Hebrew people being born in our nation under slavery. So basically, he puts this as law. Um, and some amazing midwives... Um, I encourage you to read this story maybe outside of this. I'm kind of paraphrasing as best I can. But there are some amazing midwives who are really like the heroes of the whole book of Exodus, really. Um, so if you're a midwife, well done. Um, but basically, they, they fear God, it says, and they decide that actually we're not going to kill the baby boys like we've been told to do by this evil king. And so they, they kind of keep, they basically hide them away. And the people became even more numerous, it says. And, uh, and then he, Pharaoh goes, you know what, this is getting really out of hand now. And he says, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. Every girl, let them live. Every Hebrew boy, throw them into the Nile. Get rid of them. Kill them. Wipe them out. And this baby is born. And to protect him, his mother puts him into the river. And he ends up getting picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, and basically ends up being raised as Pharaoh's daughter's son. So he kind of becomes part of this royal family. He's a Hebrew boy, but he gets raised as pretty much a prince in this country of Egypt. And he grows up, and he ends up witnessing his people under slavery being ruthlessly dealt with. And he witnesses a Hebrew man being beaten by an Egyptian slave master. And I wouldn't recommend this as a, as a kind of a, a good response to seeing one of your friends, one of your people getting beaten up. But he ends up killing the Egyptian slave master. He kills him and he hides his body in the sand. And out of fear of Pharaoh, who's trying to now trying to kill Moses, who's this guy, he flees into the land of Midian. He ends up getting married. He kind of does a bit of a heroic thing himself in the desert, and he ends up getting married. Um, and he's out in the flock a few years later, tending the flock as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And this is a moment where God acts. 
The Hebrew people are still under slavery in this foreign nation, and they're going through the hardest time, backbreaking work, oppression. It's horrible, horrible stuff. And they cry out again to God. They groan. They're like, we, we, cry, we cry out to you, God. We need your help. And God steps in at this point, and he hears their cries. And the way that God acts is by calling Moses, this guy, to go and speak to Pharaoh and tell him to let God's people go free. God's people had been for 430 years at this point under slavery in Egypt. And Pharaoh is this guy who, he's basically the most powerful and feared man in the world at this time. He's kind of seen basically as a god by his people, the people who are under his rule. They see him as a god, as having divine power. But the living God, Yahweh, meets with Moses and he sends Moses to Pharaoh and gives him a very clear message to take with him. And this message is, let my people go so that they may worship me. And this really is my first point. God keeps sending Moses to Pharaoh with this message. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Between Exodus chapter 7, where we've kind of arrived there, and Exodus chapter 10, Moses is sent back and forth by God to say six times to Pharaoh this phrase, let my people go so that they may worship me. God sends a number of horrible plagues upon Egypt to drive home his point that he is God and Pharaoh better let his people go. We, we read in uh, Exodus 7 verse 16, Moses goes and there's a plague of blood and, and Moses says, God says, let my people go so that they may worship me. There's a plague of frogs. Chapter 8 verse 1, Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. Message from God. The plague of flies. Man, I, I don't know if you've ever been like fishing near a river and there's like flies, like gnats like all around you, like get off of me. Like you've gone to a hot country and you just, you just can't bear it. Like imagine that. But the, the picture in the Bible is that the sand is thrown into the air and they become like flies. Like imagine how many flies there are. There's a plague of flies. And in chapter 8, verse 20, what's Moses' message again to Pharaoh? Let my people go so that they may worship me. Play against the livestock. All of their livestock die. And this is a big deal in Egypt. This is, their, this is literally their livestock. This is how they're making their living. For many, many people, livestock get wiped out. And Moses says again, chapter 9, verse 1, Let my people go so that they may worship me. There's a plague of hail. And these hailstones are not like little London hailstones, which are like, they kind of catch, you catch it in your hand, they melt away into a little puddle of water. These hailstones are killing people. These are serious hailstones falling from the sky. What does Moses say? Exodus 9, verse 13. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Plague of locusts. Man, it gets like worse and worse and worse for the Egyptians. Moses' message from God once again. Exodus 10, verse 3. Let my people go so that they may worship me. At each of these moments, Moses gives Pharaoh the same message from God. Let my people go so that they may worship me. You're getting the repetition. <laughs> You're going to be sick of me saying that phrase by the end of this sermon. 
But eventually, after all these plagues, even Pharaoh's own officers start telling him, like, Pharaoh, please. Chapter 10, verse 7, even they start saying, let the people go so that they may worship the Lord, their God. Like, they're going, don't you get it yet, Pharaoh? Like, our, our land is absolutely ruined. We haven't got anything left. Please just let these people go so that they may worship their God. And we read, and when we read the Bible, and I think it's especially true of the Old Testament, which is kind of originally written in, in an ancient Hebrew language, which isn't really used anymore, but it's an ancient Hebrew language. And there's this, um, there's this thing of repetition in the Old Testament in this language, where if you see a phrase or a word within a space of time repeated time and time again, it's basically God's way of saying, listen up. <laughs> This is really, really, really important for you. Because they didn't have exclamation marks to kind of put at the end of the sentence to make you go, wow, this is big, this is important. They didn't have emojis with like a serious face or like pointing a finger saying, you need to do this. They didn't have any of that. And actually the the sort of linguistic um, sort of technique, I guess, is that they repeat the word. You talk about moments where people meet with God or you hear angels singing and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They could have just said, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And to a certain degree, we would have got the message. But in the ancient language, they're saying, no, 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 God is really holy and you need to take note of this. And so it's the same here with this repeated phrase, let my people go so that they may worship me. It's really, really important. And I believe this phrase is of, of huge significance for, for it to be repeated six times by Moses, once by Pharaoh's own officials. And the phrase, and even the same language, is used again, be it in a slightly different way, but the same message by Pharaoh himself in chapter 10, verse 11, where he like, feels like he's giving way, and he's like, all right, let them go so that they may worship the Lord. Like, he kind of slips it in there. I guess I just want to make this point as a first point about this topic of freedom in worship, is that God's purpose of bringing his people out into freedom was so that they might worship him. The gaining of their freedom comes before any kind of expression of free worship. Maybe that picture in your mind of what freedom in worship looks like. Actually, even before any of that happens, we'll get to that, but before any of that happens, actually God says... I'm setting you free so that you can even worship in the first place. Freedom always precedes worship. As slaves, they weren't able to worship God in the way that he had instructed them to. They didn't have the animals to sacrifice. They didn't have the freedom to make burnt offerings or even the the objects that they needed for the ceremonies of burnt offerings. They didn't have these things because they were under an old slave master. There was no celebration, there was no joy, there was no right worship from the people of God because they're under an oppressive slave master. It was only grumbling and fear and groaning and forced labor for a false god that they were experiencing. The people of God grumbled and complained. And that doesn't stop, but <laughs> because we still do that today often. And if you follow the Israelite story through the wilderness, there's lots of grumbling and lots of complaining. But under this slave master, that's, that's all we've got. But God shows us that it has always been his way for his people throughout the stories, the generations we find in the Bible, 
that they have been set free in order to worship him. Because salvation equals freedom to worship. Can we say that together? Salvation equals freedom to worship. Fantastic. But then I guess that leads me on to my next point, really, is that if we kind of, I'll catch us up with a little bit of story again, because eventually the final plague that we read about in Exodus chapter 11 hits, and basically the people of God celebrate the Passover, which is an amazing festival, it's an amazing moment that God sets into the kind of the rhythm and the routine of the people of God, their life and their story. And they celebrate this Passover that God passed over the Hebrews with the last plague and protected them. And at this point in chapter 12, verse 31, Pharaoh, using our repeated phrase again, says to Moses and Aaron, he says, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds. So these are the, the things that... Originally, Pharaoh had said, no, you can go, but leave your flocks and your herds. And Moses is like, no, 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 you don't get it. We need the flocks and the herds in order to worship God. <laughs> like, if he's setting us free to worship him, we need the flocks. He says this amazing phrase, says, every hoof will, be, will come out of Egypt. And I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> I just pictured like babe, like the pig babe, like trotting out of Egypt. Every hoof. Um, and, and basically, it's like, Pharaoh is going, go, all right, go. All of you, get, get out of my land. Go, 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 go. I don't want you around here anymore. Take all of your animals, all the animals that you need for, for a living and for worship. Go, take them. Please, take them. As you have said, go. And he lets them go free. Ah, breathe a sigh of relief. But not for long, because... Pharaoh and his officials actually end up then changing their mind. We read in uh, chapter 14, verse 5 to 9, um, that they change their mind and they actually begin pursuing the Israelites again. They pursue the Hebrews out of, uh, out of Egypt. Um, and basically the people get as far as the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, where it feels like all hope is lost, how are we going to get to the other side? We've got the Egyptians behind us. We've got like a sea in front of us. God performed this a most amazing miracle. And he tells, he tells uh, Moses to stretch out his staff. Actually, let, let's, let's read this together. Um, let's turn to Exodus chapter 14. And we're going to go from verse 21. So they're at, so they're at, the, uh, at the Red Sea. And uh, Egyptians behind them, sea in front of them. And God is kind of protecting them, I guess, with his, these marks of his presence, his pillar of cloud. And, uh, and then we read this in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand, just as God has told him to, over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw them into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. And they're like, maybe we made the wrong decision in coming after them again. Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. 
So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. And the drop down to verse 29 says, But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and, saw Israel, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. So it's like in holy reverence for the mighty power of God. They feared him. And they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So at this point, they are truly free. Uh, this promise that, you know, let this statement from God, let my people go that they may worship me. It's finally kind of come to, they've come to realize, wow, we have been let go. So what do they do? They worship God. They worship God. They are truly free. And now they worship God as truly free people. The people who know that they are free worship God freely. I guess is my second point. People who worship God worship God freely. That's exactly what God's people do. The Israelites, after crossing the Red Sea into their God-given freedom, break into song and dance, and they enjoy celebrating God's great work of salvation with music. It's their first taste of true freedom in centuries, literally centuries. And God has brought them out so that they may worship him, and that is exactly what they do. Almost the whole of Exodus chapter 15, as, we, as we'll read, is basically just two songs of worshipful celebration to God. Um, Moses and Miriam and the people sing these amazing songs. Um, I'm going to read them to us, if that's fine. Um, we're going to read from Exodus 15, verse 1. So the beginning, so look for the big 15, and we're going to start from there. It says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength. We sung that earlier. With this strong tower, right, just run into it. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army. He's hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, again, love that, like, war horse reference, like a war horse, like, I'm ready to go into battle, a blast of my nostrils, says, says, says Moses about God. The waters piled up, the surging waters stood up like a wall, the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea, the enemy boasted, I will pursue them, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath. And the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. 
In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified, and the leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them all. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Man, what a song. <laughs> it was a song of exuberant worship. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on, verse 19. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through them on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. This is their reaction, my friends. This is their reaction to the freedom God has won for them. They are set free from slavery in Egypt, and they break into joy-filled exuberance and songs and dancing in worship. The revelation that God-given freedom brings to us causes worship to flow out of us. It's amazing. It's amazing to look back at this story and look what happened and what God did. I'm going to skip. Sorry, I forgot to put these verses up on the screen for people. But there we go. We read it. But I guess this is going to be one of my, one of my final points. Um, is that God's people are set free in order that they may worship him. And when they know that they are free, they begin to worship God freely. And I want to make the point that this is exactly the kind of worship that we get to partake in today as the church. In our time and in our context, um, this is for us. And you might kind of look at me, Zach, and be like, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying, Zach, but that was their culture, you know, like, it's a long time ago. Like, we don't really do that today. We're kind of a bit more sophisticated, you know. We drink tea like this. And I was going to make a really bad Hebrews joke about brewing tea, but I don't need to. <laughs> we are, you know, you might say, like, you might argue, you know, we're, we're, in that, we're less ancient world and we're more kind of 21st century now. We have smartphones, don't you know? Like, you know, we're less about outward expressions of our freedom and more about inward contemplative kind of share it on Facebook, text it to your group on WhatsApp kind of worship, you know. Maybe I'll make notes of it in my journal, you know, if I'm really kind of holy. Um, that's how people in our day worship God. Moses was part of an ancient primitive culture, don't you know? But isn't it true that dancing and singing, music is just as part of our culture of celebration as it was then? We might have just some different dance moves. You know, I doubt Moses kind of broke into the moonwalk or Miriam's side, like flossing. Or, you know. But uh, you know, I doubt someone broke out. Like, they went for tambourines or these kind of tambrils, which is kind of the more like the original words, so ancient kind of tambourine-like instrument. Uh, they might have broken those out, but Zad, they wouldn't grab the electric guitar and start play, playing like Bruno Mars songs. Like, come on, like, that's what we do. That's how we do things. But, but actually, you go to a wedding, 
I'll guarantee you that you'll see singing, you'll see dancing, you'll see music, you'll see people with instruments, you'll see joyful spontaneity of celebration across the day. You'll see it in our cultural celebration, and it's really just the same as its roots. We're kind of the same as the people of Israel at our roots. Um, like I was saying earlier to, to you guys about um, what I do, do, do during the week, I'm a wedding, I do lots and lots of weddings. And I, I got to go to a lot of weddings as a wedding photographer, and I love it. Some of you guys have been at those weddings where I've been photographing. Um, and last year I had you know, traditional English weddings. Um, I had a wedding that took place in an Airbnb out in the countryside. They just hired this house in the countryside to have their wedding ceremony. Um, I went to Serbia to photograph a Serbian wedding in Belgrade. I was photographing a Nigerian wedding. Uh, Side note, if you've never been to a Nigerian wedding, get yourself invited to one. (laughs) Oh my goodness, they're so much fun. So much fun. And I've been to all sorts of weddings, but all of them are marked by great joyful celebrations. And all of them included a lot of music, a lot of dancing, a lot of corporate singing, you know, singing those wedding dance floor belters together. Uh, it's, it's all there. It's all there. And it's part of our cultural celebration, even in this day. But it gets me thinking, why then do we party so joyfully with so much celebration at the wedding on Saturday? But then it comes to Sunday, we kind of stand behind our chair looking blankly at a screen, maybe with our eyes slightly closed, uh, and then stirred by like, the drum kit kind of kicking in with like, a new chorus. Oh, like, why, why do we... For me, in my mind, in my heart, it doesn't quite add up. Um, <laughs> some of you are thinking, yeah, man, that was me this morning. <laughs> it wasn't... Uh, Caroline, you guys did amazing. That wasn't a comment on worship leaders at all. <laughs> I've been there, don't worry. <laughs> But, because I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just certain that this kind of celebration is not just reserved for the pages of history, it's not just reserved for the kind of the Saturday at the party, at the wedding, at the family celebration. Surely, if we as the people of God know what we've been saved from, we would worship like free people also. I believe that in order to return to this, or maybe for some of us, just to, re- to discover this for the first time, maybe, actually, we need to just return to the gospel. We need to return to the truths of the gospel that have brought us into our freedom. And weddings are amazing days to celebrate. Don't get me wrong. As followers of Jesus, we have an even greater reason to celebrate. The reason the Israelites worshipped in this way because of 430 years they had been in physical slavery under the Egyptians. And God had brought them out gloriously out of Egypt and miraculously through the Red Sea into freedom that they could worship him as we saw, as liberated people. But when we step back and we take in, I guess, the big picture of the Bible, the big story, kind of overarching story of the Bible, we, we realize that this account in the book of Exodus is actually a foreshadow. It's something that happened in the past as part of the people of Israel's story that points to a, a gloriously big thing over here. It's like a foreshadow. It's like if you're walking down the street, maybe walking this way, the light behind you, and there's a shadow just going before you. It's not the full picture. There's, no de- there's not all the details in there, but there's a, it's like, oh, I see the shape of something coming. There's something there. And maybe you kind of do some funny dance moves and you see it kind of moving a bit, but you're still like, wait, who is that? Who's that? But it's the same with this story in Exodus, is that it is a foreshadowing of the greater Exodus. 
It is a foreshadowing of the church, the people of God in our day and throughout history, coming out of slavery to sin and finding freedom in Jesus Christ. We are set free in order to worship God, no longer slaves to the desires of this world, but set free, liberated from the bondage of sin in order that we might worship the true and living God, finding freedom in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We have a saviour, my friends. We have a saviour who has brought us out of slavery to sin, a saviour who has rescued us from the power of death. We have in Jesus a saviour who has brought freedom to us in the most beautiful way, sacrifice official way, loving way, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your trust in his finished work at the cross, like we were singing about earlier with that amazing song, Living Hope, if you, would, if you have put your hope in his resurrection, if actually the truth is about you guys that you no longer have to fear death because he has no, he has no power over you. you. You have been made alive together with Jesus Christ. You have been, you've shared in his death but also you share in his resurrection, his new life. You've been made alive together with him and you share in his ascension. Actually, right now, the book of Ephesians says that we are seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. We're seated with him to reign with him for all of eternity. His perfect life, did you know this? Jesus' perfect life is credited to you. Your sin is totally forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, it's a long way, an immeasurable distance. If you've ever tried to measure east from west, you're like, where does east start? Where does west start? Where? It just keeps going, guys. That's the point. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed, so far as God removed our sins, our transgressions from us. He has broken sin's power over you. The God of all things knows your name and he loves you. You're not just free and left wandering around on your own to work things out, but you were adopted into his family. He has put the spirit of adoption into you that you would know in your spirit, knowing the deep, deepest parts of your heart that you are adopted as a child of God. You're not wandering around on your own. The history of God's people, because we're grafted into his people, becomes our story. How cool is that? And we can look at Exodus and go, that's part of, I'm part of that story. I'm part of this thing. I'm part of this. You're part of the great and glorious story of salvation. And when Jesus comes again to claim his bride, there will be a beautiful and wonderful wedding celebration like you've never seen before. Jesus is going to claim his bride. He is the bridegroom. If you are in Christ, man, you are his bride. Gents, you are his bride if you're in Jesus. You are a bride. Celebration is going to kick off, and all the angels are going to be amazed at the sight. The music is going to be loud, and celebrations are going to go on forever and ever and ever like you've never seen before. Perfect joy for eternity is yours if you're in Jesus. There'll be no more pain, no more so, oh, I've injured my leg. Sorry, I can't dance today, Lord. Sorry. Oh, let me just sit this song out. No, no pain, no sickness, no sadness, tears wiped away. What a hope we have. What an inheritance. The party will go on and on, and we will join with all creation, all the angels, the great multitude of God's beloved children from every tribe, nation, and tongue. We celebrate Jesus. We celebrate the Lamb. 
This is why we celebrate, my friends. This is why we celebrate this. All of this is ours. All of this is ours. And we live our lives now celebrating those truths and believing those truths, receiving those truths by faith. So, a challenge for us. Monday to Saturday, it must be filled with these truths. If we want to be people who enjoy freedom in worship, that's why we've been saved. But if we want to live out these things, live out the joy, live out the celebration, live out the freedom, we have to be filled with these truths Monday to Saturday. I'll get on to Sunday in a moment. <laughs> Those of you like, Zach, there's seven days in the week. Monday to Saturday, we have to be filling ourselves and spending time in these truths. We need to soak ourselves, be kind of saturated by these things. Our Sundays together, like this, need to be centered on these things. They need to be. They need to be centered on these things. If you're ever part of a church who isn't centering themselves on the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, I get out. <laughs> don't, don't hang around for too long because it's de- if you're trying to be church together, trying to celebrate together, trying to be church family together, and you're not anchoring your Sundays when you gather together on the truths of the gospel, it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. We quickly fall into routines if we're not anchored in these truths. We quickly fall into just like mundane nominal church going. Church doesn't become a joyful celebration anymore if we just think that it's just something we go to and, and the gospel truths aren't presented to us. But when these truths are central to all that we do and we spend time focusing our hearts on the glory of Jesus and the way that he has won our freedom, the way that we worship changes. We worship as free people because that's how people who know they are free worship. Does that make sense? <laughs> We worship as free people because that's how people who know they are free worship. It doesn't come the other way around. You aren't able to worship freely whilst you're still in captivity because you're not free to do the thing that God has called you to do. Before we are saved out of slavery to sin, before we are set free from the curse of sin and the bondage of sin, actually it's impossible for us to worship God in true freedom because we are freed in order that we might worship. And for some of you, I, I, don't, I don't know everyone in the room, for some of you it might be that you're realizing, man, I think I'm still just in slavery to my sinful life. I'm still, I don't think I've ever actually come to Jesus and said, I, I need you to set me free. I'm desperate, Lord. You, you haven't come to that point like the Israelites in slavery going, I can't do this anymore. This is too much. I can't, I'm, I'm bound by this sin. I, I, I do all these things and I hate doing them, and yet, but I'm stuck in them. I can't break free from this sin. I can't break free from this bad habit. I can't break free from this mindset. I can't forgive this person. I can't let this go. I can't truly enjoy life because, because you haven't come to Jesus and you haven't said, Jesus, I need you to break me free. I need an exodus of my own in my own, in my own heart, in my own life. Uh, there'll be a moment, I think maybe at the end, we can, if, if that's you, we'd love to pray for you and stand with you and just help, help you walk into that. I'm going to skip that point. <laughs> Freedom from the old slave master is so, so important. And when we know that we are free, once we grasp this, then actually our response can be to sing, to dance, to shout and sing about it loud. Our meetings 
just look different and we've grasped the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the freedom that we have. It's the best news ever. And we don't have to worry about what people around us think. Ultimately, Jesus has declared us free in him. He's ultimately declared us righteous before him. He's ultimately declared us a child of God. So we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to be insecure because we're loved. We don't have to be insecure that if I do this or I look like this, then someone will think less of me because in Jesus. And actually, God the Father loves Jesus in, in the most holy, 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 holy way. And actually, if you're in Jesus, the Father loves you in the same way that he loves Jesus. So you don't have to be insecure. You don't have to feel scared about what people are thinking about you. We can break out of stuffy, stifling religiosity because we know that that is how God looks at us, free people. Because he's not looking for rigid, lifeless, legalistic worshippers. The Father is looking for worshippers who will worship him in spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is there, there's freedom. If the Spirit comes and makes home in you, there's freedom in you. But also, he's looking for worshippers who will worship him in truth. And that's where we stand on the truths of the gospel. Stand on the truths of our freedom. And very quickly, just a couple practical things for us before I close. So firstly, for some of us, one response might be very simple. And I think it's mostly for those of us, I think, who are already Christians. Um, but I think that it... It just might be a case of you devoting yourself to abiding in truth. I think that might just be a very simple day-to-day kind of thing that you can respond to God with. What do I mean by that? I mean that you might need to commit yourself and maybe have someone in your life group, life group leader, a close Christian friend who can kind of check in on you how you're doing with this. But it is committing yourself to spending time getting the truth of the gospel, this gospel of freedom, into your head and into your heart each day. If you rem- you're reminded, you remind yourself each day of the freedom you now have in Jesus, your life of worship will look a lot more free. <laughs> and it will be a lot more free. If you are pondering the freedom that Jesus has won for you, the natural consequence of that is that there will be more celebration. There'll be more singing, more joy, less concern about what you look like when you come before God at church, less mundane attending of church because that's just what you do. And instead, you see church as a free people, the free people of God gathering together to enjoy the freedom they have as a family. And it changes everything. And it's about abiding in, it's a biblical word, abiding, remaining in, keeping yourself in the truth of God's love. This response is very simple, and I think it's yet very profound as well. That actually it will have a massive effect on your life. Some of you just feel that's maybe part of your journey towards living freedom and living out freedom in worship more and more. You're already free, but actually you've been called to walk in that freedom day by day, to live it out. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that in just a moment um, as we sing. Um, but secondly, again, I, just, I guess I want to appeal to you. If actually you're, you're maybe someone who's unsure, am, am I even free in Jesus at all? I don't know. Um, but the, the great news of the Bible is that it tells us in Acts that anyone 
anyone. So that includes me, it includes all of you guys, this includes our kids downstairs, this includes the people out on the street in Southfields, across London, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So anyone who calls out like the Hebrews did in slavery, Jesus, I need you, I need you to set me free. Anyone who calls on his name will be saved. Anyone. How good is that news? And actually, it might be that today, that might just be where you're at. You just go, I'm not sure. I still feel trapped. I still feel like I'm in captivity right here. Maybe for many, many years, that's how you've lived. Actually, today is a day where you can call out on the name of Jesus and say, set me free. I want an exodus of my own. So, worship guys, can you you jump back up? Um, I think it would just be great just to respond firstly in singing. Um, I love singing songs at church because the songs that we tend to choose everyday church tend to be songs that are full of truths. And I think that's just the most important thing when we're thinking about songs of worship. Um, can we stand together? Is that all right? We're, gonna, we're just going to respond initially by getting more truth into us, abiding in those truths, celebrating those truths. I heard last week people standing on chairs and it was getting a bit like a bit wild. So if you want to do that, guys, live in it. Enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that like Moses and Miriam and the Hebrews when they crossed the Red Sea, man, you are free. You can lead out with a tambourine. You can start dancing if you want. Let's, let's just enjoy it. But we're going to start there and then um, hopefully before we finish, just a chance to respond, uh, maybe praying with each other or a prayer team or, or something like that. We'll, we'll, we'll get there when it, when it happens. But um, guys, why don't you lead us into some... Go for it, guys. Thank you.